0: marie joseph angelique has got to be one of the most misunderstood black women in canadian history and the black community specifically seems to be conflicted about whether she was a hero or a woman who was wrongfully executed hi hello what is up and welcome or welcome back to girl you haven't heard the podcast where we discuss true crime and black canadian history from a critical decolonial perspective but above all else without all the unnecessary propaganda that others love to include but we hate to listen to and this is black history month edition okay today we're about to get into marie joseph angelique who is arguably the most misunderstood woman in canadian history so Maria was born in approximately 1700 to 1705 in madeira portugal but not much is known about her early life it's very likely that she was first enslaved in portugal as that was a very active port in the transatlantic slave trade side eye side eye there in portugal it's assumed that she was then sold to merchant niches black when she was in her early teens She was then taken on a boat to New England, and there at age 20 approximately, she was purchased by French fur trader and merchant Francois Poulin de Francheville in 1725. And she was purchased for the sole purpose of being a domestic worker or a house slave. When her new enslaver questioned her about her prior life, she told him that between her time leaving Europe and arriving in Montreal, she had been sold at least twice. So the man who originally purchased her, Francois, he had a wife, and her name was Therese, and for whatever reason she really just didn't rock with mary like that she did not like her so when francois died in 1733 marie was simply just passed down like a family heirloom to his wife who went on to rename her angelique after their dead daughter <sighs> disgusted however She didn't like being called Angelique, she just liked being called Marie still because obviously why would she want to be named after your dead daughter, like that's weird. So in December of 1733, she actually went on to ask Therese for freedom because she's like, I've been enslaved my whole life, like my original owner died, can you just let me go? Like please just let me go and she said no. So then Marie made it her life mission to make life unbearable for everybody and I support her in that because if I'm miserable, you're going to be miserable with me. And that's on a period. So she would consistently talk back to her enslaver. She threatened to kill Therese by roasting her alive. It's what she deserves. She fought with other enslaved folks and servants in the home. She regularly threatened them. Another lady named Marie-Louise Poirier actually quit her job as a servant because Angelique had made her life so unbearable and she was kind of scared of her. So Marie had a very fiery temper. She was extremely stubborn and she could not be easily controlled. She was enslaved for nine years at their home up at this point and while she was enslaved she actually gave birth to three children but unfortunately none of them survived longer than a couple of months the father of her children was Jacques caesar who was a fellow enslaved man from madagascar who was owned by a family friend of marie's enslaver like many folks who were enslaved they were forced to be intimate so that their owner could have more slaves somewhere in her nine years of being enslaved in this area marie fell in love with a white french man who was an indentured laborer named claude claude worked for the same family which enslaved marie but the community was not all with this okay they were really upset by this because interracial relationships like that they weren't accepted doesn't happen she was black her mans was white also she was enslaved double homicide so all of the romantic or intimate relationships that she were to have would be assigned and forced upon her and it would only exclusively be with other enslaved folks or it would be kept completely private because then it was her being raped by her enslaver or people in proximity to her enslaver So in Montreal at this time, democracy was just not a thing. It was just non-existent. Neither was freedom of expression. They weren't even allowed to print and circulate newspapers. Like that's how restrictive it was at this time. So it was very much a time where nobody went against the status quo. Nobody went against the grain. But our girl Marie, she regularly did. And she stood out because she refused to go with the mess. She's an icon. She's a legend. And she is the moment enslavement was endorsed and upheld as a positive thing and torture was just a regular everyday practice nobody batted an eyelash at it enslaved folks specifically those who were amerindian and african they were at the center of daily life for the white people in montreal aside from this little bit of diversity the montreal area was very heavily white and french and the diversity that was there was not by choice it was by force So at this point in time the justice system had the exact same rules as france in montreal where criminal proceedings were ruled by an order of 1670 which regulated conduct of court officers the stages of trials recording of testimonies the duties of witnesses the quote unquote rights of the accused but they didn't really have that many rights the procedures to be followed when announcing a verdict handing down of sentences hearings appeals and of course the torture sessions that were a part of almost every trial Trials took place behind closed doors and there were no juries allowed. The accused was not legally allowed to have counsel as lawyers were forbidden from practicing on their behalf. The accused would have to stand alone before a judge and prove their innocence with whatever proof was brought against them and they didn't know what the proof was going to be ahead of time. At this point, torture was abolished in England, so in the rest of Canada, but the French loved it. They loved that torture stuff, so they would pull it out as a unique tool when the accused wouldn't confess to crimes or reveal their accomplices, even if they were completely innocent. Angelique's enslaver got real sick of her real fast after she kept up these antics because she's like, if I'm not going to be free, then you're not going to be happy. So her enslaver actually sold her to a man named Francois of quebec city for 600 pounds of gunpowder the sale happened sometime in the winter so they were just waiting for the saint Lawrence river to kind of thaw out so that they could send her away it's believed that francois really didn't want her either because news got around of how much of a troublemaker she was but he bought her for the sole purposes of reselling her into enslavement in the caribbean oh lord When Angelique heard about the sale, she was pissed, okay? She was not happy. She said, you don't want to let me free, but you're going to sell me to someone who's going to sell me to somebody else? Absolutely not. Not today, Satan. Not today, neck. Not today, ankles. So she threatened her enslaver again. She told her, I'm going to burn down the house with you still in it if you don't let me go. So shortly after this, our girl and her man, they ran away from Alexis Monnier's home where Angelique was staying until the sale was going to be complete. So... Her original enslaver was like, I don't want you in my house if you're going to burn it down with me in it, so you need to go. You need to go stay somewhere else. They fled in February of 1734 while her enslaver was traveling, and their plan was to go back to Portugal, where Marie was originally from. She just wanted to go home. On their way out, they lit her bed on fire as a distraction, and they headed towards New England, where they figured that they would be able to catch a boat to Europe. I know that's right they knew that they were going to do this so her mans actually went in advance and hid food all along the trail so that they would be good so they actually stopped at a barn in Longueuil, quebec to eat the food that he had hidden in advance and they were then forced to make another stop Bad weather is what stopped the pair from successfully escaping. Uh, They didn't get very far because the second stop, they had to stay there for a while, like I said, because of the bad weather. So they were eventually found by military and brought back into town. Marie was then sent back to her enslaver. And resources claim that she was not punished for this, but I personally don't believe it. I do believe that she would have been punished for running away. But there is no proof to state otherwise. Now, they sent her mans to prison. But while he was in prison marie continued to visit him to bring him food just you know give him that moral support keep their love alive and her enslaver didn't want her to do this but she didn't care she kept doing it <laughs> Bam. but the fact that marie was still enslaved and her man was now in jail when all they wanted to do was be free be in love be together it made her more upset so she continued with her acts of resistance. She continued to state that she was going to burn the house down, and she was going to burn the house down with her enslaver inside. She ultimately just wanted to be free, and this lady could not let her go. So her lover was released after two months in prison on April 8th of 1734, just two days before the Great Fire of Montreal. So on Saturday, April 10th of 1734, there was like a very mild weather day. It wasn't too cold, but there was an extremely strong wind. Honey, you've got a big storm coming. Around 6.30 p.m., most of the community, they were out at their evening prayers. They were on their way home from evening prayers as a fire alarm rang out. A fire had began on the south side of Rue St. Paul. The military, they were there and they tried to tame the fire, but it picked up so fast that they were not even able to get close to it. People were panicking and they were trying to enter their homes, which were on fire, to collect some of their remaining belongings, but they ultimately were not able to. The strong wind allowed the fire to travel so extremely quickly and in less than three hours, 46 homes burned down, a lot of property was damaged, but nobody died and no one was injured. So really, to me, not that big of a deal. But people were really in shambles about the fire. Hundreds of residents had lost all of their belongings and many were left without homes. So like I mentioned before, approximately 46 homes were burnt down, including their hospital. But this was really a big deal because many of the homes and properties that were burnt down were owned by some of the richest people in Montreal. Eat the rich. Rumours began to spread like wildfire that Angelique and her mans were the ones responsible okay nobody had proof but based on ordinance criminal of 1670 an arrest warrant was issued angry montrealers were frustrated by yet another devastating loss as again another fire had happened just a couple years before they looked for a scapegoat to blame and angelique was the perfect target she was poor she was black and she was a slave and she had been threatening to burn her enslaver's house down so pin it on her many began to publicly accuse angelique and her lover of carrying out the fires and when this happened her lover ran he left her disgusting he fled he abandoned her he never returned and he was ultimately never caught angelique was accused of starting the fire and so she was formally arrested on sunday april 11th they took her to court and they charged her with arson which at the time was a crime punishable by death torture or banishment so it's like i wish they would have just banished her because that's what she wanted anyways she was presumed guilty as soon as she was charged there was no real investigation and there was no opportunity to provide any sort of evidence showing that she was not responsible for the fire they had their blinders on she was the only person who could have done this even though it could have easily been an accident but sure let's blame the black enslaved woman so her trial actually went on for six weeks which was pretty unusual because the trials typically only lasted a few days The only person who actually testified that she was innocent, was her enslaver. Now her enslaver coming to court was such a big deal, because after the first fire, and now the second fire, she didn't want to see her. The courts had to threaten Therese with imprisonment just to get her to show up, but she believed that Angelique did not do this, she was not responsible for this. She didn't believe that there was any way that she would purposely set a fire that would burn down most of the town, because her only real smoke was with her enslaver on april 12 1734 at 29 years old angelique was brought before judge pierre rambault chief attorney and prosecutor francois forcher and four notaries the king's scribe was also there and his name is claude cyprin jacques portlier the judge presiding over the case was known for his torturous and unnecessarily excessive punishments so it didn't look good for angelique whenever she was being interrogated she was placed on a criminal set which is just like a very very low bench so to me i just saw this as another form of intimidation 24 witnesses were called throughout the six-week trial including a five-year-old girl which who brings a five-year-old to testify 23 of which said that the fire had to have been started by angelique because at one point or another she told them that she would Yet, none of these witnesses actually saw her do anything. They didn't see her set the fire. That's suspicious. That's weird. The woman who I talked about before, who was working for Angelique's enslaver, who quit because Angelique was being so mean to her, she said that it was clear that Angelique was responsible because she had told everybody that she wanted to kill their enslaver by fire. A woman named Jeanne confirmed this, and Louis Portier-Lafleur, who was a domestic servant to the same enslaver, said that Angelique had a wicked character. To me, I think that she was wicked in the best possible way. I know I ain't crazy. Another woman said that she saw Angelique before the fire and she seemed annoyed. So she had to be guilty. She was enslaved. She wanted to be free. She wanted to run away with her man and start a new life. She was madly in love with him. He abandoned her before the trial started. I would be annoyed too if every day I woke up and I was forced to be in these type of circumstances against my will. I want you to be so expeditiously, super caliphagically exp- for real now. Majority of the people who quote-unquote testified against her were just spewing rumors and they were adding validity to the rumors based off of their own disdain for Angelique's fighter spirit. They envied how she was always fighting and she wouldn't just do what they said. Everybody wanted her to be guilty, but there was no solid evidence presented against her at any point. This was until the five-year-old testified and said that she saw Angelique going to the attic of her enslaver's home, holding a shovel full of coals before the fire. Lies, Manelli, Lies. This was the testimony that sealed Angelique's fate, and it just conveniently happened to pop up at the end of the trial. It very much seems to me like someone coached this five-year-old to say this because they wanted to see Angelique punished for something that she may or may not have done. The court said that she was going to flee her enslavement, so she set the fire to distract from her escape, which is something she had already done. So if she was going to try and escape, she wouldn't have done the exact same thing as before. She was smarter than that. Angelique was not present to hear the statement of the witnesses as she was not allowed to be there. She had no idea what was said about her. Like I mentioned before, she was not allowed to have any lawyers on her side or any form of legal counsel. She was forced to defend herself against rumors that she was not even allowed to hear. So she didn't know how to defend herself. Angelique was interrogated a lot. And when she was confronted with the statements against her, she continued to deny any responsibility for setting this fire. She said she had nothing to do with it. They tried to intimidate her into admitting guilt, but it didn't work. Now, there was a confrontation process of this trial. And this was basically just when the king's prosecutor chose the witnesses that from the 24 who testified he chose the ones that he wanted to confront her in an effort to to coerce her confession and starting the fires this was the only time that angelique was able to see the faces of those who were testifying against her the clerk would read the depositions then record their accusations and also angelique's continued denials then, based on Angelique's reaction, the prosecution would give new questions to the judge who would interrogate Angelique once again. So this process just continued and continued. you Like I mentioned before, in that very last week of trial, the five-year-old came forth and said that she saw her carrying the coals was started the fire, which sounds like a coarse confession to me. But after six weeks, they found her guilty and sentenced her to death. Her hands were to be amputated and she was to be burned alive. Her sentence was sent to be appealed to a higher court in Quebec City, but unfortunately it failed. They upheld her death penalty, but they lessened some of her sentencing. Instead of cutting off her hands, they decided that she would just be tortured, hung, and have her body burned instead, because that's so much better. She was then sent from Quebec City back to Montreal to wait for her pending execution. Throughout this entire process, she was adamantly denying that she started the fire. On June 21st of 1734, the court of the Jurisdiction Royale of Montreal enforced the sentence that was handed down by the Superior Council, which was the highest court in the land at that time. On this same day, Angelique was tortured in ordinary and extraordinary ways in her jail cell with the use of Brodequins otherwise nicknamed as the boot. Now, trigger warning, we are now going to get into the details of her torture. If you don't want to hear, then you can just skip over. And I'll have the timestamps in there so you can skip to the next section if you don't want to hear this. Her legs were bound tightly together between planks of hardwood with ropes. They would then insert a wedge with a wood of mallet. Four wedges was for torture in the ordinary way, and an additional four would be added in the extraordinary way. And all of this was done with the judge trying to force her into admitting guilt. The ropes and the planks would then be twisted to crush her bones. The more wedges added in between, the more painful the torture was, and it would just slowly crush her into admitting that she did something which she claims she did not do. So ultimately, the purpose of this torture was to force her into admitting that she had set the fires and that her lover helped. But in reality, she was able to maintain that she did not set the fires and neither did he. This was until the torture just kept going for hours. It got so intense that she just admitted to the crimes to get it to stop. When she admitted to the crimes, she was begging for mercy and for a quick death. She just wanted the torture to be over at this point. The torture that she endured was not just physical, she had been mentally tortured her entire life, and the six-week trial just amplified all of that. Despite admitting under severe coercion that she did start the fires, she never named her lover as her partner in crime, or never said that anybody else participated, even though she really could have thrown them under the bus. After her torture was over, they dressed her up in white... She was forced to hold a burning torch in her hand. They put her inside of a garbage bin and they then took her to the Notre Dame Basilica. Once she was there, she confessed to her crime. She begged God, the King and the people for forgiveness. And then she was hung. This part is what was really sick to me. The man who hung and tortured her was another enslaved black man named Matthew Levi. His official job title was the Royal Executioner. Her body was then put on display for the whole city to come and see for two hours. At 7pm, her body was lit on fire and burnt. They then gathered her ashes and cast them to the wind. The year after she was executed, they stopped trying to find her lover. After Angelique was hung, it was clear that they just tried to pretend like this whole situation never happened. I'm sorry, what? I'm sorry, what? I'm sorry, what? I'm sorry, what? Like, what? What? This whole situation was virtually non-existent. There was a brief resurfacing about her and her execution in 1925, but started to gain a more permanent place in society's memory in the 1960s. Many see Angelique as a martyr, as she is considered the first enslaved person in North America to revolt against her enslaved status but for some she is innocent and she was just used as a scapegoat. Oh, Dr. Afua Cooper wrote in her book The Hanging of Angelique that Let us remember that arson was a tool of resistance commonly used by enslaved Africans. As a slave, she was alienated from security. As a slave, she was the lowest of the low. Perhaps she set the fire to cover her tracks while fleeing, and to wreak vengeance upon Montreal as a bonus. Black history is treated as a marginal subject, but in reality it has been bulldozed and plowed over, slavery in particular. The story of Angelique provides an opportunity for us to reclaim a hidden past. Since much of the Black past has been deliberately buried, covered, and demolished, it is our task to unearth, uncover, and piece it together again. However, Denise Champagne says in her book that she believes Angelique is innocent. She believes that the fire was an accident starting in the house next to where Angelique was staying at the time she says that angelique was the easy scapegoat due to her quote unquote strong personality and they just needed to find a guilty party they wanted her gone anyway so this was just an easy way to do it people often publicly complained about her which was a bad look because they didn't want their enslaved folks to be acting up in the same way that she was they wanted them to be easy to control every single person said that they were not sure who set the fire but they knew that it was angelique because she wasn't polite they didn't like her personality and they didn't like the way that she carried herself Lorena Gale wrote a play about our girl named Angelique which first hit the stage in 1995 and was published in 2000. In February of 2012, the public square across from Montreal City Hall was named Place Marie-Joseph Angelique in her honor. So we have now come to the part of the podcast where I give my thoughts, my feelings, my opinions on this whole situation and I'm just going to say right off rip. I honestly I have no idea and I really want to know what you think. Like do you think Actually, did start the fire? Do you think she did start the fire? I personally, I am undecided. I don't know if she did because I feel like if she did it, she would have just said she did it, because her fate was sealed either way. And she very much seemed to me like the type of lady who would stand ten toes down on what she said or what she did. So like the first time when she set the fire to get away, she didn't. She never denied that. She never denied that. So if she did set this fire, I would think that she would just admit to it. She wouldn't beat her on the bush. She wouldn't try and hide it. She'd be like, yeah, I did it. And what? But she denied it the entire time, and the confession that they claimed that they got, it wasn't even a confession because she was tortured. You don't get a confession when you torture somebody. What's not clicking? Then thats it's not a confession. They're doing it so you stop hurting them. However, if she did set the fire, then she had absolutely every reason to do so. Like, she was stolen from her family and her home. They stole her identity. They forced her to assimilate into this white, nasty culture. Her enslavers could literally do whatever they wanted with her. They forced her to sleep with that man who she was not in love with and have kids and every single one of them died. They wouldn't let her just be happily in love with her man. Her man abandoned her at the first chance that he got, okay? So I would be mad and if I were her, I probably would have done it. Like I would have done it. I said what I said! Like the attitude that she has is very much the attitude in my mind that I have when I'm in situations that I don't want to be in. So I can only imagine what it was like for a strong-willed person who ultimately just wanted to be free during this time period where you had to do everything that everybody else told you to do and you weren't allowed to just be you and do you. Like, I can only imagine how frustrating this was for her. The burning of Montreal and then her trial and her arrest, it just shows how Canada really operated and the roots that we continue to operate from to this day. Like, I say this all the time in my real life, I don't know if I've said it on the podcast, But I don't believe that you can create good out of a colonial system like this. I don't believe that you can somehow make a fair and just system out of injustice. And it's rooted in injustice and colonial violence and murder and stolen land and stolen African folks. Like, I don't think that you can somehow just make this a magical good system. The justice system is not for justice, and I'm going to leave it at that. Like, this is where the system started, so it's only going to branch up from that, and it can only grow out of that and grow into modern forms of that. It's not magically just going to become something else. You have to rip it out from its root and burn it. So yeah, I'm kind of undecided, in whether she did it or she didn't do it, oh my gosh, that man who ran away? Clap if you think she should suffer. I hope he choked i hope he lived a miserable life because how are you gonna abandon the love of your life and just let her be tortured and you didn't you didn't see her when you were in jail she was coming she was bringing you food she was taking care of you and you ran at the first chance that you got trash so what you're telling me is that all the way back in the early 1700s men still men still were trash that's what you're telling me cool cool but yeah i'm not sure if Angelique did this or not either way whether she did it or she didn't do it i don't think she deserved the fate that she received and i really think it just would have been best if her enslaver let her go all of this this whole situation could have been avoided if she just let her go but her pride and her ego did not let that happen i hope that everyone who was a part of the reason why our girl received the faith that she did i hope that a miserable life and i hope their descendants have miserable lives as well what um ciao anyway so but that is everything for this episode let me know whether you think that angelique did it or she didn't do it do you think she's set the fire or do you think she didn't set the fire there's no guilty or innocent because either decision she make we rock with her we support it so thank you so much for tuning in to girl you haven't heard make sure to do all of the things like the video rate the podcast subscribe you know tip or become a patron and i will see you tomorrow